0: Drawing the fine line between reality and perception has kept humanity busy for thousands of years. Countless philosophers and scientists have spent their lives trying to separate what's true from what's collectively and individually perceived as such, and they often fail the test of time for their truth being only true until the next discovery was made to contradict it. This is not to say we cannot be certain of anything in life. Of course there are facts and we should not confuse them with opinions. We should know that data is often more accurate than an impression and that a lie is a lie, even when it sounds true. And in our daily attempt to understand the world, we should never forget that our individual reality is always a merge of what's going on outside and inside of us and that our emotions, cognitive biases, background and culture will always be the filters through which we'll make sense of the world we live in. If there is an industry which has always played successfully with reality and perception, that is, without a doubt, the movie industry. Think how many movies have changed your life, offering you a fresh point of view, telling you a story you didn't know, lifting you up when you needed to, or triggering your deepest emotions. Technology, with time, has helped movies become more and more realistic, immersive, and imaginative, and with the growth of the animation industry, fantasy today feels more real than ever. Jean-Colabrunien, the guest of today's show, is a visual alchemist, or to say it in a more corporate way, a digital animation specialist, the man who contributed to making impossible stories appear real on a screen. Having worked with filmmakers such as uh, George Lucas and James Cameron, the list of movies he has worked on is impressive, and I will only mention a few. Avatar, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, X-Men, Harry Potter, Godzilla, King Kong, Life of P, and many, many more. By listening to today's interview, not only will you understand some secrets behind the movies you love and the technologies that made them possible, but also how technologies like virtual and augmented reality are rapidly changing the way we live and will transform many industries, perhaps yours too. Jean-Colat, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: It's my, my great pleasure to, to be with you today.
0: I hope I have triggered enough curiosity among our audience, and I'd love if you could share more details about what you do and what you did specifically on the blockbuster movies I have mentioned before.
1: Yeah, so today I'm I'm leading. I uh, created a company three years ago, uh, and this company is a technology company. It's a software maker. We create uh, software for for the film industry and or the animation industry, and maybe we will speak about it a bit later. But I started my career in the film industry when I was 25 years old, when I got out of the uni- of university. And I was lucky enough at the time to join a, a studio in Europe, which was one of the largest VFX animation studio. There, there were very few studios across the world really trying to use computers to, to create images for the movie industry or for the advertising industry. One one of them at the time was called Ex Machina. It was one of the largest, uh, or if the largest studios, computer graphics studios in Europe back then in the in the nineties. And I, I, so I, I can I can say that I actually joined this digital visual effects revolution really in the early days. And so very because of my interest for for films, I was very early at the, at the beginning. I was really drawn by. Using especially computer graphics and adding those uh, images to uh, live action shots, so more working on on doing visual effects rather than working with animation movies, which is very strange because when I started the, in this industry in 1995 to some extent, I met with the guys from Pixar in Paris, and they said uh, and they said to me, "Why don't you join Pixar?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm not so much interested in animation movies. I prefer live action movies and Terminator." and Jurassic Park, and, and that kind of stuff. And now I think I regret it, because it would have been really cool to to join. And this is one of my regrets in, in my career, not to have worked on a, on, a, on a Pixar movie. But so my career was very much about, my expertise was very much into how do we use computers to generate computer-generated images, produce computer-generated images, and sort of insert those images into live-action movies, which became sort of a Today, it became it became really mainstream to some extent. But in the in those times, uh, the first examples of, of that kind of work was in the Abyss movie. There was this 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 creature made out of, uh, made out of water. The, the Terminator in the first Terminator and the second Terminator movie, you had this this Terminator made of sort of a fluid, sort of chrome chrome material. And Jurassic Park, of course, with the dinosaurs, the computer graphics dinosaurs. This was the first time you would see sort of computer-generated creatures on the screen. And so this, this became my job. It's like, how do we create that kind of images? How do we create that kind of creatures? And and it, within this within this industry, you have lots of different jobs. You know, it's, it's like when you work in luxury industry and then you're doing clothes or gloves, or you're doing bags. Some people specialize into preparing the, the leather. Some people specialize in cutting the leather. And doing the patterns some people are specialized in sewing things and adding the the metal bits and pieces so in this industry it's very it's also very segmented you have people creating the objects which 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 is a phase we call modeling you have people painting those objects to give them colors and and uh, work out their their appearance and you have people animating those objects so they can move to the screen you have people inserting those objects like you render them out and then you insert them to, to the live action plate and this these are called compositors so you have lots of different specialties into this into this uh, job for at the beginning I was very much specialized into uh, working out the appearance of the CG objects that you computer computer generated objects that you would add to the screen and the lightings like how do you provide the mood uh, of the CG elements that you will be add, add, adding to the plate later on and towards the end of my career, I became a computer graphics super CG supervisor, as we, call, as we call them. And the CG supervisor on a show, on a film, is responsible for defining which techniques you will be using on a show in order to realize the vision of the director from a technical standpoint. In, in a hierarchy, it's, a very, it's, it's like a, you have a very strong hierarchy in the film industry, and so you have very well-defined positions. The CG supervisor is sort of in charge of the technology to some extent, like deciding which uh, technology you will be using on a particular show. And above the CG supervisor, there is there is what we call a visual effects supervisor, who is more the person looking after the art direction of the visual effects themselves, like working closely with the director and, and deciding what the shot is going to look like, where the camera is going to be located, what is going to be the look of the creature that you're going to add to the to the movie and so on and so forth. And and once those decisions were made, uh, the visual effects supervisor and the director would eventually discuss with me about, uh, or will tell me, JC, this is how it's supposed to look like, now figure out how this is going to be done. And that would become my job. Potentially working out with lots of all the different departments that I've been mentioning before. So you have to work with the art department and they provide you with some designs of what the creature is going to look like. Uh, Moving to the model, so you have to define what this creature is going going from 2D to 3D. So define what the model is going to look like in 3D. And then you decide the look of the creature in terms of colors and appearance. Then you have to work out with the animators to decide how this thing is going to move, which is very complicated because from the movement comes the personality of the creature. And so this is a very important part of the process. And then obviously inserting this creature, animating it for every shot where it's going to show up in the movie and And the final touch, which is how do we uh integrate this uh, c g creature to the to the live action plate so that was my job
0: Wow, well, I find this very fascinating because uh, it, it must be very technical but at the same time uh, very creative isn't it
1: yeah yes it's it's very true people it's it's a, it's an interesting topic of, of people say you know it's it's never about technology it's about the uh, they it's about storytelling which is true you you don't need a lot of technology in order to move people Uh, and we know this you know like if you see a painting in a cave if and we, we we have great examples of that people are really touched and very moved by by the beauty of the drawings so and and they did this with very basic tools Yet it's because we have all this great technology that that we are capable of doing absolutely fantastic movies uh, such as Avatar, which is probably one of the most m- most complicated kind of movie you can create today with with computers and and the problem is obviously some people say a computer is cold you know it's a it's a machine, so how do we make how do we how how do we go from something that is generated uh, by a computer which is by and sort of sort of mechanical how do we make this uh, moving how does it move how does this thing is going to move your emotions and, and there are several several aspects to this. Like obviously, storytelling is still very key. It's basically the, the the story itself and the pace of the story and the mood that you create through the lighting. It doesn't have to be very complicated stuff, you know. It doesn't have to be Avatar. You have very uh, simple, way more si- simpler movies that are being made with with not that much money, and they, they, they move you as much as as a movie as Avatar, because it's all about how you tell the story and the, and the the story itself, and. After that, it's obviously, you, you need to be sure it's, it's, the emotion is carried through the animation and it's carried through the design of the, char- the character. And so, yes, you're totally true. Like, being really good at this job is, is really being good at, with the technology itself. So, you have to be very knowledgeable about the technology, but you also have to be knowledgeable in, in art and, and knowing what, what a, what a composition, a good composition is, you know, the basic knowledge about how you combine colors together. But basic knowledge about uh, what a, a director of photography would have on a set. You know, what is light? How do I create moods using light? And how do I shape light? How do I sculpt light in, in order to emphasize the emotion you're trying to convey for a shot? Um, so it's, it's really a fine balance between having all this artistic knowledge. And how do you manipulate people's emotion when they... Because it's all about that. You know, movies is how do you treat people's mind in order to let them think that they are in a world... In In which they are not when they watch the movie because they are in the real world, but the emotion the, the mind to steadily disconnect from the real world and then you you sort of dive in into a, a an artificial world that has been created by the film directors and everybody that has been working on this uh, on the movie, and at the same time uh, being extremely knowledgeable about extremely complex technology. Uh, we are using some of the great the fastest computers in the world, some of the most advanced computer software prog- programs in the world. It uses extremely complicated algorithms to generate those images. So it's it's an interesting balance between the, that scientific knowledge in a way and techni- technological knowledge and and art knowledge. So it's I think it's a unique job in the world. Uh, there's no no other job like this in the world, or uh, probably very few
0: jean claude I'm very curious to understand if the great uh, uh, filmmakers you mentioned before, George Lucas, James Cameron, if they have a technical understanding of the technologies they, they need to use to create their movies, or if with their creativity they push people like yourself to kind of stretch the possibilities of the technologies available in the market at the time these movies are shot. It's, it's
1: a great question, because in fact you have... and, and... You always It's more complicated than what I'm going to say, but in, in short, you have two kinds of directors, really, uh, and, and two kinds of minds. You have the directors who are incredibly technical and love technology and really want to understand how technology works. And they really get deeply involved in, in the process of deciding how, how the shots are going to be made, how the movie is going to be made. And directors who don't want to hear about it, you know, they, are, they hate technology they think that every time they get close to a computer the computer is going to stop working because they are nearby <laughs> that kind of you know very weird because for them it's all about creativity and because the way they look at technology is 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 something that gets that gets into the way you know like if you have to go through an animator to manipulate the computer in order to express your creative ideas then they think that this is a blocker. This is something that is in between their mind, their creativity and the final result. And they don't want that. They want, they, they want to get rid of that. They want to, they want things to happen magically and they just want to uh, focus on their creative ideas and to, to, to see the result on the screen. And they feel very much stressed out about not understanding why things are so complicated. And so they don't want to hear about technology. And on the other side, you have a different type of directors, among whom you would find James Cameron, Peter Jackson. There are people who are very uh, well versed into the latest technological development, Uh, especially in, in, for example, to give you an example, uh, Peter Jackson was one of the first person to use uh, digital cameras before recording his movies, and he would start recording movies in 4K, and even even probably tried, you know, recording some movies in 8K just to see what it would look like to be recording digitally rather than using old-fashioned uh, celluloid films. So those people are very curious about technology and very curious to understand how the technology can serve their movies. And James Cameron is the same. You know, he has a passion for deep diving. He he had his own he equipped his own submarine in order to. Find uh, the wreck of the uh, Titanic uh, boat and and shoot and l- film the wreck at the bottom of the ocean. I think those people understand technology very well, and and because of that, they truly understand how they can leverage it, how they can utilize it in, to their to to serve their creative intentions and their creative ambitions. Because when you, when you work with the directors at that level, it's not about just making a movie. It's really about realizing a, a creative ambition. They are incredibly ambitious people. You know, it's like we want to create something that has never been seen on the screen before. And that was obviously the case with Avatar and a movie that, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy.
0: Did you have to create uh, to develop new technologies for these movies?
1: Yeah, so we we do create. So now now uh, we get to a point where technology. We I would say we solved most of the problems, and and I would say the the last boundary would be how much computing power do we have access to in order to, because we're limited in time and we're limited in budget. So, so a movie like Avatar, you know, you, which is probably the most complicated thing you can do in, in 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 the film industry today, which is to recreate an entire virtual world and and making it making this world look realistic enough that you think it's believable, and this is about rendering vegetations, forests, an entirely open world to some extent, and. You can create extremely photorealistic images, but in order to do so, you would have to use an enormous amount of computing power and an um, enormous amount of memory. And even though the budget of a movie like Avatar is huge, you know, it's still limited. <laughs> so there is a moment where you say, okay, the image is good enough in with respect to the amount of money we can invest into into the, the computers that we are using to render those images. And we, of course, you're limited in time. So for example, Typically, a final image in a Pixar movie can take from 10 to 15, 20 hours to render. So one single image that goes into the final movie of Pixar can take 10, 15, 20, even more hours uh, per, per frame. How many images... Well, you know, it's a 90 minute images, 24 images per second, per second. That's a lot of images. And, and the thing is, you know, the film industry is always trying to improve itself, which is normal. So now we're moving from, let's say, 24 to 30 uh, frames per second and then 60 frames per second. And if you look at the movie, uh, a movie like Avatar in stereo, you have to double that. So you have 60 uh, frames times... Uh, 60 seconds in a minute, right? Multiply by 90, multiply by 2. So multiply by 10 to 15 hours. That's a lot of hours to to render the entire movie. Yeah. So, so yes, uh, a lot of the technology, of course, the... The thing that we do not invent, or the the hard, is the hardware. Often, you know, it's like the computers. Uh, these are provided by by the, the the standard hardware manufacturers: Intel, Dell, Nvidia, AMD, all the the, the 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 companies that are working on the CPUs and the GPUs and and the screens, and and the network facility as well. Because all those generally were working with huge clusters of computers, so they have to be connected to each other. And so so we so we can't do much about the hardware but uh, over the last 20 years I think we developed a lot of software solutions in order to resolve or to solve some of the creative ideas of of those directors, like when when a building explodes or is is collapsing, you have to dev- to write a software. At least ten years ago, there was no software on the market that would be able to do this. So you would have to write it by your own. So often we had huge in those studios where I worked. We had large R and D teams that would work specifically. They developed specific tools for a particular show. So, like the destruction of buildings is one of the one one example. We did a lot of work on the appearance of skin because it's very difficult to make. We we use a lot of digit what we call digital doubles. So when you do a movie with Brad Pitt or a very famous actor, and this actor is supposed to do some extremely dangerous things, generally we prefer to replace him with a digital actor but making sure your digital Brad Pitt looks the same as the real Brad Pitt is an incredibly hard things to do, especially in terms of how the the the, the skin appears. So that a lot of work has been done in terms of like sh- making sure skin looks real. Hair simulation is incredibly complicated. You know, like the grooming of like being sure the hair looks great, especially if you're a woman with long hair. Short hair is a little bit easier because they don't move as much, but when you have large hair. Long hair, they move a lot. So how do you simulate this? The cloth simulation, like uh, simulating the motion of cloths, is incredibly complicated and very uh, comp- takes a lot of resource uh, on the computer to simulate. Water simulation, smoke simulation, generating landscapes is complicated. Generating vegetation is complicated. So a lot of tools have been written specifically for shows, but of course, um, hopefully, I would like to say, uh, a lot of the tools now are readily available on the market. Still, they are incredibly complicated to use, so they usually require experts to 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 manipulate them and to operate them.
0: How far are these technologies from becoming uh, mainstream, from being available for everyday use?
1: So that's that's the that's the thing I think which is interesting, where the experts, professional world, is sort of moving or. At least the, the prosumer consumer world is sort of merging and, and the professional world are sort of moving towards each other. There is no easy bridge at the moment, but I would say, like, using making movies like or images like the kind of images you see in a Pixar movie or a, a Disney movie or in an Avatar show is, is still the, the, the domain of professionals and, and experts, and it costs a lot of money. But there, there is a trend that is visible since a few years now, which is three D. The the use of computer generated images and which I call three D for short, is start to be integrating into consumers or consumer products. So you, you can you can see three D emerging or being more and more present into, especially on mobile phones, for example and it's being used it's interesting because like if you look at the latest version of the iOS operating system or the uh, even uh, micro uh, the Windows operating system now you know 3D objects are being treated as uh, files so if you have a 3D object in on your on on in your browser and then you click on it you will be able to see it in 3D with, with it's, it's 3D is already integrated deep inside operating systems of some of the most common operating systems that you and I are using on, in our everyday lives so you can see that 3D is like being used now not only by professionals creating movies uh, like Avatar, but also is becoming available to people like you and I. And so the question is, what, do we, what are we going to do with those things? You know, it's like we, we, you, Of course, you've been using a computer probably for text editing. You've been using a computer for having this Zoom conversation. Uh, so video is a very important and audio is a very important part of it. And now there's a new kind of medium that is coming into computers, which is 3D. And so the question is like, okay, so we went from text file to pictures, you know, like uh, before videos, because it was too consuming to store the videos or to stream them. But we we had pictures and then we moved from from pictures to videos. Now, storing videos, streaming videos is like really mainstream. It's very, it's kind of cheap and everybody can afford to do it. And then, uh, you move from videos to 3D. 3D is another kind of challenge because it also, uh, generates a lot of data, even more than videos. So it's challenging from that point of, point of view, but the hardware is becoming good enough now that we can, in fact, use 3D in our consumers or consumers products. I still think there is an entire world that is being, that is to be created and invented which is like, how are consumers going to use 3D on, in their everyday lives? So yes, there is emerging happening. And I think it sort of freaks out the, the people from the professional industry because they can see that in the near future, maybe in five or 10 years, like creating short animated movies is going to become possible for anybody and not only professionals and not only Hollywood. So that's a very interesting um, prospect.
0: Yes, it is. In fact, uh, I wanted to ask you, traditionally, what I would call visual manipulation was always a prerogative of the movie industry, whereas today, many more industries have entered this domain. I'm thinking of video games, but also the music industry and and other forms of entertainment.
1: Yeah, totally. It's basically, you've seen this happening. I watched a presentation I watched recently from a great guy who said, you know, we we were promised the democratization of uh, video making and music making, and this uh, this revolution didn't happen. It's like, what are you talking about? There are hundreds of thousands of people across the world making music every day with with very basic stuff, very simple stuff. It, it became so affordable and not cheap, affordable. And and affordable means uh, you don't need to spend a lot of money onto equipment in order to man- to generate music, to create music. And it's the tools became more user friendly as well. They became easier to use, and then with very simple, uh, very the the software are very powerful. But they are they simplify a lot of stuff for you, so that even if you don't know about music, you can actually generate something, create something that is kind of cool, and express yourself in that way. And so and so, I think this revolution definitely happened in the video uh, world. It definitely happened, to my opinion, in the music world. I mean, it's so easy today to create your own video and to edit your own video with very simple tools, even if you're not a video editing expert, you know, and you don't know how to use uh, professional tools such as the Avid Media Composer, which is the one video editing tool that is being used in, in Hollywood the most. And so, I think the same is going to happen with 3D. and to give you an example of that at the at the Apple World Developers Conference in I think last year or two years ago, that was the first time. so which is the largest developers conference in the world? Like it's a huge event you know looked by many people across the world in real time. And for the first time, they showed an example of how to integrate to use augmented reality on an iPad using Unity or Unreal, the Unreal Engine, which is a, a video game engine. I don't remember which one, but it was really weird to see Apple showing like how to create 3D with an iPad for the first time. And you think that if you start seeing companies like Apple or other companies showing examples of how to use 3D in, in, on their hardware or in their software, something, some kind of revolution, some kind of transition is happening.
0: To make sure everybody in our audience understands exactly what we are talking about, can you define virtual reality and augmented reality? Also, because these are technologies that are going to change a lot of what we see and do.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. Virtual reality, you have to wear some Google, some glasses. You have to put something on your head, um, uh, which today is kind of cumbersome. They are not lightweight at all. They are not like your own glasses, but I think we can come to back to that in uh, a bit later. So at the moment, there are those kind of pl- this kind of plastic box that you put in front of your eyes, and and basically what happens is that the computer is going to generate uh, a kind of in real time a three D world, uh, so that as you move your head across uh, through space, or as if you move your body a little bit, generally it comes with some. Kind of hardware that you have to put in your room and so this hardware is able to also locate where you are in the, in the space of that room so if you move a little bit to the left the world that is projected onto your eyes through those glasses are going to be uh, in sync with your own movements in th- in 3d space so you are going to have the feeling that you actually move in the real world except that instead of being the real world that you look through your eyes, you're actually looking at a virtual world that is generated in real time. So literally, you're looking at a world that looks real or looks real in terms of like perspective, you know, parallax. And so if you move a little bit, you can see that the object that is in front of you has a little bit more parallax than the objects that are far away. So it looks real, but obviously it's generated by the computer. And so this is, uh, this is about virtual reality. It's about uh, projecting a virtual world onto your eyes using those glasses. Augmented reality on the, on the other hand is, uh, using a different kind of hardware. It's using mostly your phone or your tablet. And, and there is a little bit of an exception, but again, we'll speak about this a bit later if, if you, if you want. So li- the idea is that you, you take your phone or your tablet becomes a window on the, on the real world. So you take your phone and the phone is going to track a surface in the real world, which is usually a horizontal surface, but it can can also be a vertical surface like your wall. And you have a collection of 3D objects. And then the idea is that you can drop those 3D objects onto those surfaces that your phone has tracked. And then by moving your phone around, you actually render this 3D object on top of the real world. So in fact, you have the impression that the virtual object is in the real world, but it's not there. It's just computed by the phone. But by looking on the phone, on the screen, on the fo- on the screen of the phone, you have the impression that this three D object is in the real world. So you have the real world that is displayed on your phone screen, and on top of that, you render that three D object that is not real, that is not there, that is not in the real world, but you f- you see it in on the screen as if it was in the real world. So. These are two different ways of, in the virtual reality case, you really just see a world that has been fully virtu- virtually generated by the computer. In the case of augmented reality, again, you use a flat surface, that is your phone or a tablet, as a window on the, on the real world that you are going to augment with 3D objects that will be rendered on top. And by looking at the screen, uh, you will feel that those objects are in the real world. So it's a kind of integration. You mix virtual objects, with the real world. That's why we call it augmented. <laughs> we augment the real world with objects which are not in the real world.
0: How immersive are those experiences on a scale from 1 to 10, in your opinion?
1: OK, so virtual reality, it's a long story. But when Facebook bought Oculus for a lot of money, like people were so excited, especially people who made a lot of money when they, if they had share of, of uh, Oculus, when Facebook bought the company. And there was a huge hysteria around like virtual reality is is here. It's 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 coming, and it's the wave is hitting us. And it was really interesting for me to look at how crazy people were about it. And it was completely speculative, you know, like like next year we're going to sell millions of uh, VR headset. And, and the fact is, everybody was very disappointed, like almost no headset was sold at all. So it was a huge flop. And, but, and this, is, this is the point uh, I want to make. When you wear those glasses, the experience is truly amazing. I mean, as a filmmaker, as a film lover, as someone who is in love of techn- with technology and, and images and paintings and, and everything, when, when you wear those glasses, it's so much fun. It's really such an incredible experience to feel that uh, you can move in a virtual world. That is really fun to experience. I I think also as a film, as a content creator, you can start to see the potential of what you can do with this technology. So this is very exciting. This is really amazing. The problem with this is, um, so from from a user experience, from an experience standpoint, I would say I would give it a 10. You know, or nine, <laughs> because I'm sure there are better things in life. But it's quite amazing. It's it's very immersive. You really feel in the world. that Your brain disconnects very quickly, not f- thinking too much. That the three D the images that you see on the in, that you see are not very photoreal. They're they're still crude because you have to render them in real time, and computers are not powerful enough to make super photorealistic images in real time yet. But so, so it's very interesting that, and this is my point about storytelling, you don't need to show people very complicated images for them to disconnect from the real world and start to immerse themselves into the virtual world or the creation that you present them with. It's very simple. It's very easy. I mean, you can watch a, a painting from an Italian painter, right? From Michael. I mean, you can name the one that you, you prefer um, and then you you will be moved by it even though it's just a, a painting It has been drawn and so on and so forth. So, so the, the, you don't need to create very photorealistic images in order to move people. So the sense of immersion comes very quickly. There are some certain things that are very well known in the world of virtual reality. You can get a sense of sickness very quickly if objects move too fast. So there are certain rules uh, that makes you uncomfortable wearing the glasses. Not only that glasses of, are heavy you know, if you wear them for about 30, 45 minutes, you know, they start being, you know, your face starts to be all red and <laughs> a little bit wet and a bit sweat, sweaty. So they, there is a little bit of discomfort wearing those really heavy glasses. And there is a little bit of discomfort if the content is not generated properly. You can feel a little. Some people are very sensitive to, uh, to motion sickness, what is known as motion sickness. So this is probably one of the reasons, one of the reasons for which uh, virtual reality hasn't taken off as much as people expected. And the other reason is that is being claimed is that uh, buying a, a virtual reality set is too expensive today. You know, if you want to invest in a good uh, virtual reality Google's or uh, glasses, it would cost you about three hundred dollars or something like this, maybe a bit less. But if you want a good good technology, then it's still kind of expensive as a consumer product. And and you know, you can say I, I put as much in my phone, but the reality, like the the value of putting three hundred dollars in a phone, is not as much as the value you would get into putting $300 in a virtual reality headset. So in truth, at the moment, unless we solve some of those problems about how heavy those glasses are, some of the issues with motion sickness and lowering the price of this hardware equipment, it will still probably take a while before it become a sort of mainstream.
0: So what's your prediction? How long before it becomes really mainstream?
1: Yeah, so... Yeah, and to finish, just, I will get onto this question, but I treated the, for your question about immersive, how immersive the, the, but it's connected to your other question. How immersive the, so virtual reality, I put it a nine on over 10. Augmented reality, it's a slightly different, but it's an amazing feeling. I'll tell you a little story, a, a nice story. When I was working a few years ago on virtual reality content, I, I wanted my parents to experience that. My parents are about eighty years old, and my mom has memories that she was very young at the time of of uh, bombs falling in France uh, when she was a, a baby, like she was three or four years old. And it was very interesting because I showed her, I I put the the goggles on her head. And I played a movie that I was working on, like a computer-generated movie, which was about two or three minutes long. And my mom started to watch this, and she started to freak out. She started to say, you know, it's like, I can't watch this. And she was really panicking. And I thought she was just joking. I was touching her, and I was like, relax, relax, I'm here. Everything is fine, you know, just keep trying to enjoy the, the show. And after 10 seconds, I realized she was really in uh, in shock and really panicking because the experience was so immersive that my mom was not able to disconnect from what she was seeing as not being real from reality. That triggered memories of, of bombing when she was a child. That's how powerful virtual reality is. And I removed the headset right away because I realized she was very serious and she was incredibly uncomfortable. Not about the fact that the, the, the glasses were heavy, but by the fact that the... The, the the what was actually projected onto your eyes and onto her mind to some extent was triggering extremely powerful memories and and virtual reality to answer your questions about how immersive this is is actually been used in a lot in medicine right now to to cure people from from phobias particularly but from from other from other issues as well like because it really can tr- tr- trick the mind the mind is very easily being able to disconnect from what is real, from what is not real. And by projecting some content, it helps people to cure. It helps people to, to be cured from, from some phobias they have, like spiders. There are people afraid of, of dark, uh, of you know, like when it's dark at night. And so we can cure a lot of people and it's being really used also in in medicine a lot, to help people reconnect with their bodies after an accident, and so on and so forth. So it really has an extremely uh, strong, powerful, immersive effect. And augmented reality is slightly different. It's more about having fun, and this is answering your second question in a way, it's more about, it's useful, it's more useful, and it's useful today, it's more practical. And so when you ask me the question, how long is it going to take before, for example, virtual reality glasses or Googles are becoming lighter and the technology is becoming cheaper? The, this is really where it gets interesting. Because like when you think Facebook is buying a company like Oculus that was one of the first manufacturers of virtual reality Googles for an extremely large amount of money, you think it's crazy. You know, it's like, what a waste of money. The fact is Facebook has been working for the last, um, Five years now, and and they started a program very recently, a a research program, in order to generate to see how. Okay, let me step back a little bit. We know, we all know that Facebook is specialized in social media. So the the heart of the business of uh, Facebook is to is about social. It's about how do people socialize through through their uh, social platform. And so what they are interested in is the future of socialization in a way. So, and the future of socialization is about putting avatars, so a copy, a virtual copy of yourself and a copy of, uh, a virtual copy of myself in a room. And then instead of talking to each other through a screen, like using Zoom, we would actually see each other through those glasses in 3D. So as if you and I were in the same room, we could share the same experience. And Facebook is putting a lot of money and a lot of effort into uh, making this uh, technology a reality. And I read an article about from Facebook uh, while back saying they, we, they start to show some of their first uh, results with this research, and which is really amazing. And so they, they develop technology that allows that, that makes it possible to, to make a virtual copy of yourself uh, in 3D very quickly and very easily. And then they have a system where if you move around, if you speak... Then all this motion will be captured by the system they developed and will be somehow streamed to me, for example, and will be generated on my computer so that if I wear the glasses, I would feel that you are actually in the same room sharing, having a conversation with me. So they are developing, this is still very early days and they say it's going to take them years before this goes into the consumer, onto the, gets on the consumer market. But I would I would think that I'm careful about Facebook and the way they communicate. You know, maybe they're not that far, and and they're just making you think it's going to take a while. But in fact, that might not be that's not tomorrow. But I would say somewhere between two and a half, three years to five years, I think we're going to start the first early adopters of this technology. And and it, and so there is this technology that I'm mentioning to you, which is about generating three D avatars, so that we, with the virtual reality technology, you can. Have a different kind of virtual interaction, like rather than having that conversation through a diff- through a screen, through a, a, a digital camera, we can actually share uh, a same space and see each other's avatar. And this comes with another kind of technology that is being developed, not so much by Facebook, but m- probably by Facebook too, but also by companies like Google, which is like uh, small virtual reality or augmented reality glasses. So these are, uh, Google has already an example of that so you basically wear glasses which are as light as the kind of glasses you get when you need them because you get older <laughs> to read a book so they're very light and the idea of those this technology that a lot of hardware companies are working on is that it will be an extremely lightweight way of projecting images onto your eyes and high, uh, so you will be able to get either a virtual virtual reality experience like basically everything on your the screen of those glasses will be an image generated by a computer that will be projected onto the back of your eyes. So you will have a fully virtual reality experience or you will have an augmented reality experience where uh, while you look through the glass and you see the real world behind the glasses, some computer-generated elements, objects, will be added on top And then will be projected, also will be added on top of the the, the real images, the real world that you look through the glasses. And so literally what you will have instead of using your phone and the tablet, as I mentioned before, for the augmented reality experience, you will have um, a sort of augmented reality experience with just glasses set on your face. And they will be lightweight and hopefully they will be uh, cheap enough that I would say everybody in the world will have one <laughs> one pair, like like everybody has a, a phone in, in his pocket or in her pocket today.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't see any reason why people wouldn't want to use a technology like that.
1: No, because like, see how the GPS is useful to you when you go from one city to another, right? Would you really like to go back to the, to the map? I mean, it's fun. Like, again, my parents showed me a map last time. <laughs> It was, like we, it was fun. It was it was kind of nostalgic a little bit going through that experience of looking at a piece of paper to figure out where you wanted to go. But it's so much easier now with a GPS. So I think uh, the idea that you can walk on the street, literally, like in Rome, in, in Paris, in New York, in, in Milan, anywhere in the world, in Dubai, and then walk through the streets. And then as you watch the buildings, added information will be added on top of those buildings that will be fully virtual, like some CG renders, so, providing you with, you will have virtual labels added on top saying, this is a great restaurant, and you can see all the information about some of the latest reviews, and they can show you some, the inside of the buildings. Maybe you want to see what's inside the building, and you can see what is inside the building. You can remove the facade of the building and sort of get inside. You can have lots of information saying there is a dentist here. There is a, a shop here to buy a, a Lamborghini. And, and, and so there is a, a lawyer here. And, and so you will have all this information being displayed in 3D to you. And so that's, that's, yeah, I don't see why would people not want that? Because this is going to entirely change the way we move into the city space and into the, the real world.
0: Yeah, the, the more you talk about it, the more I envision how these technologies are applicable to many different industries and areas of life. And this is something I'd like to talk about in a minute. But before we get there, I, I wanted to make a little reflection with you. And speaking of GPS, well, you don't know how many times it saved my life, but I realized that ever since I have one on my phone i lost forever the little very limited sense of direction i had before so don't you think that this availability to of technologies uh, can uh, can make us lose some of our hu- human abilities some cognitive abilities that uh, that our brain has uh, developed uh, over millions of years
1: i i will tell i'll i'll, I'll make a very simple answer to this um with, uh, with the, the sentence, you know, with great powers come come great responsibilities. Uh, truly, it is you are only responsible for your actions, and if you wish to keep sort of in sync with the nature. I love nature. I love the. I'm very concerned about environmental issues and and global warming and and a lot of issues related to this. I'm very sensitive to how can we preserve nature and the world we have and our natural resources for the future and for for future generations. So these are topics I'm very sensitive about. And But I think that, you know, if you have children, and I think it's important for, there are some studies about this, which is like, how soon should you expose your kids to screens and and virtual reality glasses. It's, it's a complicated question. I, I think it's important to expose kids to engineering questions, and it's also important to expose kids and younger generations to to make them sensitive to how to look at the world without much machines. You know, it's like they should experience the world for what it is first and learn about nature and learn about how we make things with our hands. Like, how do we create an image with our hands, with a pen and paper? With, with How do you make your your own paints and you know how do you make your own brush and all those things and I think education comes from the ground up you know it's like how do you make uh, a fire how do you feed yourself how do you grow crops and so on and so forth so for me it's more a question of how do we set our education system so that you do this gradually You you probably should first expose people to what is the real world and and be sure that you have those foundations before you actually get into something that is potentially, as you mentioned, very artificial. So for me, to answer your question, it's like, first of all, it's an inevitable evolution. As long as we'll, there will be technology companies, as long as there will be money and resources and engineers for making the technology better, the technology will get better no matter what. So accept it or refuse it. (laughs) But even if you refuse it to some extent, this this is, as I mentioned, this is inevitable. And there is a good reason for that is because progress is the thing that will let us keep exploring the world. I mean, you've seen it with the 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 latest SpaceX SpaceX um, launch recently. The, our future is probably uh, in space. We have we need a lot of technology for that. We keep we need computers for that. We need computers to become smarter and smarter. And probably the exploration of space, the same way we explore our world, will will go. It's those technologies are required. So, regardless, as a human, and the, the idea that we are going to augment ourselves from as biological um, entities to biological slash uh, mechanical entities is very likely, because even if you consider space travel, us as biological entities are not fit for doing long, long space travel trips. So, I mean, probably, you know, all this research, this is science fiction, but all these ideas that potentially you can put your conscious in a box and then this conscious will travel through space. It is what we are going to, what is, this is literally what we are aiming for. You know, this is the far, far point towards which we are moving towards to. well, yes, today it's science fiction, but literally this is where the human species is going as as a species. Whether it's a good thing, as I said, this is to me inevitable. As long as we still have natural resources in order to generate those computers and feed people that actually work on those technologies, and we have democracies and, and the world is functioning, more or less, this, this kind of research is going to keep going. And, and I don't see this, it's, it's an inevitable solution, uh, evolution, whether we accept it or not. Humans will augment themselves regardless.
0: Wow, that sounds exciting, but scary at the same time. Now, let's go back to the present for the minute, or at least the near future, Uh, because I'm sure that many people are wondering how they can make use of these technologies in their everyday life. You mentioned before applications in the healthcare uh, industry, and I agree with you. I envision incredible possibilities in healthcare, but there are other sectors that will be impacted. And now I'm thinking of education. For example, I have kids. And, and I realized that the traditional school setting, uh, which was great for the Industrial Revolution, but is no longer as effective, should change. And now I'm thinking of my kids learning things, being immersed in a 3D experience. I think that could potentially be extremely powerful and could trigger different ways of learning.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah No, education is a big thing. You're right. The question, again, is not to expose the, the kids to screens for too long. So there are some issues with this, but you're totally right. If kids are fascinated by video games and they do play to video games all day long, for me, from an education standpoint, it's more about telling, or oh, if you are interested in video games, I'm going to show you all the mathematics, all the physics, all the engineering that is behind creating those video games. And so you can teach the kids, you can use virtual reality, you know, the the fascination that kids have for those new technologies, for rocket science for virtual reality science for virtual reality science or all the technologies that are behind augmented reality and virtual reality to teach them engineering that is being that is necessary in order to create those technologies, the hardware and the software. So I think this is a much better point where to start from. I would prefer personally to start from there. So for this is for education. For other industry, healthcare, there's another kind of technology we haven't spoken about, which is, or there's two technologies I want to speak about, which is the cloud technology and the uh, and the five G. You know, there's a lot of uh, conversations about five G is not good, and uh, why do we care about so much about the debate about. Chinese technology coming to Europe and to the US and 5, 5g is a huge thing it's a huge revolution people don't understand that it has a huge impact on healthcare because especially in the quarantine time that we've been all experiencing you can very much imagine that remote medication remote meetings with your doctor is going to become sort of the something normal in the future so you'll have some uh, doctor behind the screen. And even some kind of AI, you know, because AI is very good at looking at pictures of your face or some kind of, you know, like little maybe marks that you have on your skin. And the AI AI agent or the AI program will be very good at figuring out the kind of like problems you have with the help of the doctor. But all that stuff is going to happen remotely. And in order to do that, you need to have enough bandwidth in order to, to transmit high resolution images. So you'll have maybe a high resolution camera at home, that will be able to or sophisticated hardware that will be able to measure your temperature, your body temperature, to, to figure out to, to record some data about your health and we will we'll send this data that will be processed by a computer, hopefully supervised by a human. <laughs> so remote diagnostics is very important. When you mention education, I think more than education for children, it's training professionals is going to be more important. Like if you work on an Airbus or a Boeing plane, the ability for an engineer to uh, have some training remotely from the Boeing or the Airbus team, you know, saying this is how you maintain this, this bit of the plane is going to be super important. So the ability to actually wear the glasses and sort of have augmented information about this is these are the pieces that needs to be changed or that needs to be fixed or figured out. This, this is going to help hugely people working in the maintenance of cars, planes, and all those sophisticated hardware that we're using so this this is the training of professionals uh, or technicians is i think it's going to be uh, an important uh, point for ar and vr and and for other industries it's going to change the fashion industry to some extent you know like m- more and more You're buying stuff on on websites, but you're not being able to look at the clothes or you're not not able to try them out and see if they fit you. With the technology I mentioned to you, you are able to create an avatar of yourself with the right dimensions, the right proportions. And you can say, I want to buy this shirt and you can put this shirt on you and see if it's too long, too short and so on and so forth. So that's the fashion industry is going to be revolutionized by that, to my opinion, the makeup industry. Uh, There's some one thing we didn't speak about with augmented reality. I mentioned to you that you can look at the screen, you can take your screen, your phone, and and your iPad, and you can look at the world with some objects that are added on top. But you can also film yourself, you know? It's like the computer, the, the phone today is capable of actually seeing how your face is moving. So this is how, you, in, in like lots of social applications, now you can add yourself some some ears and some funny decorations. This is amazing because a lot of the the makeup uh, industries now have their own application where you can actually film yourself and say, I want to see myself with that kind of makeup, or I want to see myself with this kind of uh, haircut. You know, am I better as blonde or am I better as brunette? <laughs> You know, you can do this with augmented reality. So the makeup uh, industry and and anything that is related to fashion is is going to be huge. And there is other things which are interesting about virtual reality, for example, which is virtual touring. You want to buy a flat. You don't know what the flat is going to look like. Sometimes they show you a little model. Sometimes you have... A flat that has been specially constructed so that you can see what it will look like when it will be delivered to you but then this is not the same position in the building so for example you can wear some glasses and you can they can actually set you physically into the place where your uh, apartment will be located so you can see the kind of view you will have from your apartment and decide whether this is the right place you want to go you want to go on this other side of the world in Maldives but you don't know which island you want to use but then suddenly you can scan the island and you can scan the interior of the hotel and then you can start walking around and see, well, actually, I want to go there because this is, they have the, the, the kind of pantries I love. <laughs> and this is, yeah, you're going to select your hotel, uh, just by just looking at a virtual reality, uh, uh, tour experience. And this is, this is obviously going back to your question, whether it isolates people to some extent or whether it makes them lose connection with the real world. Of course, there is a danger there. At the same time, you know, you can see it's, you can look at this as an opportunity so everything balances out in the end you can see this as an opportunity to of course have access to way more information way more knowledge way more way more places throughout the world you can literally go to australia tomorrow you can go to the moon you can go to mars you can have all those experiences so potentially it will provide you it will enrich you with way more emotions and way more experiences than you could ever experience yourself if in the real world so if you look at both side of the coins. I think it, uh, it balances out.
0: Yeah, and I think it couldn't be otherwise for someone like you who's been working on the technology for the past 25 <laughs> yes, years.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I try to represent a good balance between love for old-fashioned movies and 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 respect for the environment and nature. And you know, one of my favorite movies has no, motion, no visual effects at all in it. And that's why I say at the end, I think it's all a matter of education. And it's like, great power comes great responsibility. I think it's you you need to be mature enough as a human to, to say, you know, you cannot only live in an artificial world.
0: While doing my research, my homework for this interview, I learned a new word, a very interesting one, metaverse. Can you explain it for our listeners?
1: Metaverse is actually a, a topic I'm very, very interested in. I think it's a huge sort of tsunami that is coming to us and that is just emerging. So the problem with the... So, let me answer the question first, what is a metaverse? A metaverse to some extent, and to make it very simple for the audience to understand, is exactly what you have in the matrix. It's the ability to be in a world, to, let's put it to the, uh, to push it to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the extreme. It's, you are in a world and basically what you experience through your senses, uh, you cannot make the difference. You cannot tell whether what you experience through your senses is actually real or not real. And of course, if it's it's not real, that means that you can be in any kind of world. (laughs) Um, Today, you can be speaking to me, but in fact, you could, you know, be somewhere near a swimming pool and you would not be able to make the difference. Whether what you experience is is a real experience or a false experience, something that has been generated for you. And so this is kind of the, the matrix world. And so this is what a metaverse is. So the question when you think about this is what is required in order to create a metaverse? So create an experience in which you cannot say whether what you experience is real or not real. So there's lots of, I mean, you have all those guys doing some crazy mathematics and research in physics right now that are working on the multiverse and all the stuff. I'm not going to go there, because I'm not smart enough to understand a fraction of it. So maybe we are already in some sort of metaverses and some sort of multi... There are literally thousands of copies or millions of copies of yourself living in different universes and experiencing different things. But the, the the thing is, at least in our reality, in our world, what does it take to actually generate those those universes, artificial universes, so that you can immerse yourself into them? So, the what is interesting in terms of the, the, the technology evolution is that we are just right at the point where the technology is mature enough that we can start thinking about building those metaverse metaverses. One of the, in literally, I think in twenty years or hundred years or two centuries time, people will look back at history and will probably figure out that or will probably agree on the fact that the game Fortnite, even though it's far from the kind of metaverses you have in, in the Matrix movie, is probably one of the first very basic preliminary kind of type of metaverses that you can imagine. Uh, so it's a sort of virtual open world. So basically, it's a world, a virtual world in which you can walk around without any limits so you can walk in any direction, it will keep going forever. And so this is what the kind of world we call as a, an open world. And it's a world in which like several people are connected, like can be in at the same time and interact with each other. So I would say today, even though still very preliminary and not exactly what how you imagine the metaverse to be in the future, Fortnite is the first example or an example of what technology, what you can do with technology today in order to go in that direction. And I think for the metaverses to exist, you need to have a lot of computational power. You need to and and you need a lot of you need to be able to store enormous amount of data. And this has become available because of two things which I mentioned before: the cloud technology and the five G or high speed internet. And in which five G is going to play a huge a huge role. So the technologies for the last five years we've seen the cloud infrastructure and the data centers across the world to become mainstream to some extent. They become more and more available. They They become cheaper and cheaper. There are more and more of them. So this kind of computational power that I was describing is becoming available sort of almost readily available and the, the the storage capacity is almost becoming infinite. In theory, you could store I mean not as much information as you would need to, in order to recreate the the real world, the physical world in 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 its in its in, in, in full. This is this technology doesn't exist and will probably never exists because it's called the the the, the world. <laughs> in itself but the the fact is you you cannot have enough storage capacity now to to create that kind of like really large open virtual worlds you 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 are you have you use all the the computers that you have in the cloud in order to generate that content like generate those virtual worlds And then once you have generated the the images for those virtual worlds or the content for those virtual worlds, then you can start, you can use 5G or high speed internet connections in order to stream the images that are going to be projected onto your glasses. And then that's how in the future you will be able to immerse yourself entirely in a virtual world, whether those virtual worlds are copy of the real worlds or something that are coming out of your imagination. So yeah, meta- metaverse. So it's it's for me it's an interesting technological, philosophical, business question. The philosophical question is of course what is what what does it what does it mean? I mean how why is it what is it what is it why is it necessary? Why do we need to to create those those virtual worlds? So it's the philosophical. We can speak about. I mean I'm not the best person. You should speak about that with philosophers. and, and But this is interesting, you know, why humans have the need or feel the need to actually create virtual worlds and worlds in which they can experience the world, the real world in a different way, or experience worlds or have different experiences than the kind of experience, uh, experience they have in the real world. Of course, the simple.
0: Yeah, yeah. On this regard comes to mind a great TED speech by um, Alessandro Lanteri titled Why do we need philosophers before we introduce the driverless car? <laughs>
1: yeah that's a very good point a, yeah I'm sure there are some great talks like this, but that sounds that sounds fun, and I should watch it uh anyway, if this is the philosophy question the the um, technology question is like which I'm very interested about is what kind of technology do we need to do in order to develop that and to some extent, the company that we created is is aiming at solving some aspects of some aspects of that problem. And, uh, and the third thing is the business. Like, uh, what, what, how can we use this from a business standpoint? I mean, one of the motivations behind creating metaverses is, of course, like, how do, how do, is there a business we can generate out of that technology or out of that concept? And so, obviously, Fortnite is an example of that, like uh, games. It's a, it's a very simple uh, example. Uh, interesting enough, Unreal Engine and so the guys behind Fortnite recently organized during the pandemic and the quarantine, they organized a, a virtual concert with a very famous artist, musician. And and that was kind of a show in which, like a, a second life, you know, like in which people can meet into a virtual world and sort of experience that show from that artist in a world that was entirely crazy. I mean, the experience was really fun and and really different from obviously a normal concert. So, and, and I'm sure there are tons of other applications like this. I mean, you can, you know, it's like on the internet, you know, you type a URL and, and you can navigate to a virtual shop. You don't, it's not a physical shop, so I think you can very much imagine the same in t- with metaverses. You will be able to multiply to the infinite, to some extent, the kind of locations where you will be able to, to travel to.
0: So maybe next time we'll meet, it, it's going to be in a metaverse.
1: The technology is almost, is almost working, almost there. for. And if you put a lot of, enough effort in, in setting that up, then that's already something we can do today. So maybe we can try. Maybe we can give ourselves the goal, actually, on the next one to at least...
0: Cars to, yeah,
1: to, 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 to do it. But lots of companies, I can tell you, lots of companies are working on this topic right now. And particularly the very big companies like Google and the Facebook and like Apple and all those companies are working on that. Google is working on self-driving cars, right? They're working on glasses. Facebook is working on avatars and virtual reality and metaverses look at a company or entrepreneur like Elon Musk, you know, he has a company where he has self-driving cars, he's looking after space uh, travel and so on and so forth. So if you are, it's not, what I'm saying is not completely crazy. If you look at what, of course those companies have a lot of money, but if you look at this, all those technologies and all those different industries are somehow connected. Like all the technologies that are also used in self-driving cars and the kind of technology that will be used for creating those augmented reality glasses that I've been sp- speaking about, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same algorithms. It's all the same software, the same equations behind.
0: So perhaps we should organize a new interview in a year time to see at what stage we will be.
1: <laughs> with pleasure, with
0: pleasure. Jean before we conclude this conversation, which I have thoroughly enjoyed, uh, where can people find you should they want to know more about you and your work?
1: Uh, The the easiest is always LinkedIn (laughs) Uh, And the company uh, I'm running at the moment is called Pocket Studio P-O-C-K-E-T Studio Pocket Studio, one word Awesome
0: jean claude Brunier, it was a pleasure to have you on Lux & Tech